Good morning to each of you and to those who are joining us online. It is sure good to be together to worship the Lord today. Well, as I begin the message, I want to ask you, what comes to mind when you think of a rehearsal or the opportunity to rehearse something? Now, for some of you, maybe you've been involved in theater or you've been involved in, in uh, sports or other opportunities where you had rehearsals. For me, uh, I think of a wedding rehearsal. Now, not necessarily my own wedding rehearsal, but just as part of the joy of participating in ministry, I get to be a part of a lot of weddings. And typically before the big day, we have the wedding rehearsal, right? And that's where we get to, uh, to go through everything and we get to uh, uh, show groomsmen how to properly escort bridesmaids down an aisle. Uh, we have to, to coax or coerce a flower girl into walking down the middle of the aisle while everyone is watching her and somehow try to convince her that it really is okay to take the flower petals and throw them on the floor of the church. You know, these are the kinds of things that seminary just doesn't prepare you for, you know. You just have to figure it out as you go. But then you, 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 you realize that you're now on an event, uh, the rehearsal, where you have both the wedding party, the wedding coordinator, You've got the father of the bride and the mother of the bride who are all giving opinions. It's like in this one space, finally everyone has, has come together, and now we've got to figure out how we're going to do it, right? How we're going to, yes, get along, but also make sure that this is the day that everyone has been expecting and planning for. Well, that's a wedding rehearsal. We do it before we get to the actual event, like any other rehearsal, right? Well, let me ask you today. What is your mind rehearsing for that day of difficulty? What is it that you tell yourself that you want to be prepared for, that you want to be reminded of when that hard day or hard season is upon you? Because as we will see today, as we open up to the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, what we tell ourselves, what we remind ourselves of, what we have rehearsed for, will make all the difference between despair and hope. Hope is possible. Hope is possible in that day if what we have rehearsed leads us to hope. So I invite your attention to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to see this morning what it means to rehearse truth as a way to renew hope. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, author Tim Keller suggests that suffering requires disciplined thinking and speaking truth to ourselves. Here's what he says. He writes, we must be disciplined in our thinking. You must meditate on the truth and gain the perspective that comes from remembering all God has done for you and is going to do. This is both listening to your heart and also reasoning and talking to your heart. And, and then he, he pulls together pieces from two different psalms. And I, I, I like this next paragraph. He says, it means saying, why are you downcast? Or, why are you cast down, O my soul? Forget not his benefits, his salvation. 
This is not, he writes, forcing yourself to feel a certain way, but rather directing your thoughts until your heart sooner or later is engaged. Here's the point. In a time of suffering, what makes the difference? Here it is. What we think about and how we think about God. These are the factors that lead us one of two directions, either towards despair or to hope. So what is it, my friends, that we think about? What is it that we dwell upon? What do we rehearse? What do we tell ourselves about who God is when we are walking through that season? Pastor and author Mark Rogop says it this way, hope springs from truth rehearsed. Hope springs from truth rehearsed. I'm indebted to Mark Rogop for his book on lament, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's been so helpful for me uh, on a personal level and as we walk through an understanding of what lament is all about and even this series, his, his book has been uh, incredibly uh, helpful to me. And that little statement right there is really the main point of the message. Hope springs from truth rehearsed. I've titled the message a little differently. Rehearsed truth leads to renewed hope. And I think that we live in a day where we need our hope renewed. And I know that some are going through situations that are even even, uh, uh, independent from what we're seeing in the world around us. And these individuals, they need renewed hope. And so I'm going to offer today... Based upon Lamentations 3, what I think is a very practical approach, you might even see it as a strategy of reminding yourself to rehearse truth in those times. Again, that's the the main theme. So it might then beg the question, what then should we rehearse? What truths must we know so that we can remind ourselves of them when those times arise? And rehearsals are are important and helpful because we know that after rehearsing something, it can become more like a second nature when that actual opportunity arises. That's why we need to, to, to spend time regularly, daily, rehearsing that truth, bringing it to our minds so that when those situations arise, it's, quick, it's quickly something that we can pull up. Think about it this way. Suffering really leads to theological questions, theological reflection. And how we reflect can lead us either to hope or to despair. Lamentations chapter 3 gives us a framework for this very thing. While you're turning there, I want to quickly recap chapters 1 and 2. And by the way, I'm so glad people came back this week because Lamentations 2 was rough, wasn't it? I mean, that 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 is a heavy chapter. Heavy, but realistic. Jeremiah was giving us a, a snapshot of what he, was see, what he was seeing in the nation of Israel that day. And it was, it was realistic. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, painting uh, pictures that were untrue. And as we look in the world around us, we, we can have some honest reflection as well at what we see happening in the world around us. And so I think that, that even though it was hard to read, It's not very often that we think through the judgment of God, 
Things such as his wrath or his anger, those are not topics that we, that we touch on very often, but if they are true, which indeed we say they are because that's what the Bible says, then we need to be, we need to be familiar with those topics and let them, let them instruct us and prepare us. And so I do think that the time we've spent in Lamentations 1 and 2 have been helpful. Chapter 3 is a bit of a turning point, but before we get there, let's just be reminded of the setting. The nation of Israel had rejected God completely. The kings, the spiritual leaders, the people of Israel had all turned from God, and instead they had turned towards idolatry and towards immorality. They ignored warning after warning after warning. God raised up prophets. He sent them messengers. He gave them people just like Jeremiah, but what did they do? They they, they mocked him and they scorned him. They did not listen. Ultimately, judgment from God came. The people of Israel, in fact, you may remember the nation had been divided into two kingdoms. First, the northern kingdom fell. Then the southern kingdom fell. The people were deported to foreign lands. Their capital city of Jerusalem was was, uh, uh, completely overrun. And uh, the city was looted. The temple was pillaged. Jeremiah is writing lamentations at the aftermath of the fall of his country. The city was smoldering, and he's, he's writing these words of, of what has taken place. Now, the message of Lamentations is clear. It wasn't simply an, uh, an, an invading army. It, it was the judgment of God that Jeremiah was lamenting, the wrath of God. That's what the people were experiencing. And we saw last week that, that these are the ultimate consequences of sin. Now, I want to be clear. Not all suffering is a result of sin. We've talked about that. But there is a kind of suffering that is the result of sinful choices and actions. The suffering of lamentations is directly related to God's covenant people turning away from Him. As we move into chapter 3, the structure is a bit different. You may Recall that chapters 1 and 2 each had 22 verses. And it was set up in a very poetic manner. Uh, The very first Hebrew letter was the first letter of verse 1. Going all the way through to verse 22 or letter 22. If we were using the English alphabet, it would be A to Z. right? We'd have 26 verses, I suppose. And each, each verse would start with the corresponding letter of the alphabet. So Jeremiah went to great lengths to put together this lament in such a structure for it to not only be poetic, but to communicate a message even in the structure. That the judgment of God was total and complete from A to Z. And he continues with that, that, that same type of structure. But if you notice, chapter 3 is not 22 verses. It's, uh, it's longer than that. We've got 66. And so what we have is instead of A, B, C, D, if you will, it's more like verses 1 to 3 are A, A, A. Each, each verse starts with Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then verses 4, 5, and 6 go to the next one. So it's more like A, A, A. BBB, CCC, and that's why we have 66 instead of 22. But we pick back up in chapter 3, and, and it reads a lot like chapter 2. But again, there is a turning point. So hang with me, and uh, let's begin by looking at the first three verses 
of Lamentations 3, you'll notice the first letter, Aleph, of the Hebrew of the uh, Hebrew alphabet. Here's what he writes, Jeremiah. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. So we begin in a very similar manner to what we left off last week. We see his despair. We see the struggle that he is in the midst. The, uh, the, the, this is a time that, that even these verses describe as, as a dark time, a dark season. Something that to some degree each of us can relate to. Either as we reflect or as we know that, that, that we look, live in a world where it's bound to come at some point where we walk through a dark day or a dark time. Well, let's look at uh, verses 16 through 18. And this is uh, the Hebrew letter uh, Vav. He ground my teeth with gravel and made me cower in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought, my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. So here Jeremiah is making some, some, uh, some strong statements related to despair. He's saying, I, I have no peace. He's saying, I have no prosperity. I have no hope. He's even saying, I don't have a, a hope in the Lord. He's being very honest, very transparent. But yet, the end of Lamentations 3 is hopeful. Look at verse 58. He says, you championed my cause, Lord. You redeemed my life. Now, wait a minute. Right here in chapter 3, we have, we have uh, the author of Lamentations, Jeremiah, saying two things that are, that are in opposition to one another. I have no hope in the Lord. And, oh, Lord, you, you have championed my cause. You've, you've given me redemption. So, so how did Jeremiah start here and end here? And as we looked at Psalms of Lament several weeks ago, we saw a similar pattern, didn't we? That oftentimes these Psalms of Lament are, are, are gut-level honest. Lord, do you remember me? Lord, have you forgotten me? Lord, do you hear my cry? Have you abandoned me? And then yet as you work through the psalm, you find that what began with questions ended with confidence and trust. And that's what we see here. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a picture of a true lament that's walked through the process of lament. So how did Jeremiah get from despair to hope? There is a section within chapter 3 that is an absolute turning point for him. Look at it with me in verse 19. Remember my affliction and my homelessness the wormwood, and the poison. I continually remember them and have become depressed. Verse 21, yet. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. Right there is the turning point. We see the first two verses, 19 and 20, looking in which direction? Looking backwards, right? 
looking backwards and dwelling upon circumstances that lead to depression. But then he uses this word, yet. Yet. Begins to, to have a different perspective. Now let's make this real for us today. If we continually look back, if I continually look back in my own life and pick out times of regret, bad decisions that I've made, or if I look at and continually dwell upon when I've had uh, people treat me unfairly, because we've all experienced these things. If I continually live there, what will happen? You better believe I'll get depressed, right? If you dwell on that stuff enough, it'll just eat your lunch. And that's what, that's what we're seeing here. Just dwelling upon the regrets, the mistakes, the failures, even the sins and the, the consequences. Yes, all of those things, those things that we cannot push the rewind button and change. But the adversary that tries to keep us back and hold us back, what does he do? That's where he wants to keep, keep us living. He wants us to stay there. He wants to hold us down because he'd like for us to remain in a depressed, discouraged state. But if we also see that the, the same truth applies not only to despair, but also to hope. If I dwell on truth and I dwell on the, the character of God and his promises, then, then instead of the dwelling leading to despair, the dwelling can lead to hope. And that's what's happening in these three verses. We see the word depressed in verse 20. We see the word hope in verse 21. We see in verse 20 the phrase, I continually remember. We see the phrase, yet I call this to mind in verse 21. It's the same process. The question is, what is it that he or we are dwelling upon? Because that's what leads to either despair or hope. If you look again at verse 21, this word yet is a word of transition. In fact, your version may, may have translated it, but. It signifies a turning point. Before this, it was depression, but yet after this, it is hope, not discouragement. All of the circumstances of Jerusalem at the time of this writing, have they changed? No. Circumstances are still there. And so sometimes that's the case for us as well. Circumstances haven't changed, but what it is that I am feeding my soul and telling my heart, that is what has changed. And that's what's making the difference. Jerusalem was still in the midst of hardship, heartache, suffering, yet there is something that Jeremiah will call to mind. And in doing so, it will produce hope. Here's how Mark Vrogop explains it. He says, Lamentations is leading us toward a very important and practical step when life becomes difficult and challenging. It is showing us that hope does not come from circumstances. Rather, hope comes from what you know to be true despite the circumstances around you. In other words, you live through suffering by what you believe not by what you see or feel. 
And I would just like to stop there for a second because that is so important. I have to tell myself this. In fact, I've, I've told other people that, that there are those times, there are those seasons where we have to move forward going on what we know, not on what we feel. Your emotions can t- trick you. Your emotions can, can lead you into a, to a way of thinking that's not true. Mine do it too. And that's why that, that in, those, in those times we have to say, well, what is truth? What is it that I know to be true? Not just what I'm feeling. Think about well, if, 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 if your marriage covenant was only based on feeling. How secure would that covenant be? See, it's not, it's not going on what we feel. It's going on what we know. And so that's the key that we're driving at right here. goes back to what is it that we are rehearsing? What type of truth is coming to mind? Verse 21, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. We all remind ourselves of something. And if our reminders sound a lot like verses 19 and 20, how will we feel? Discouraged, right? But if our reminders sound a little more like verse 21 and what is to follow here, it'll lead to hope. Tim Keller says, we may hear our hearts say it's hopeless, but we should argue back. We should say, well, that depends what you were hoping in. You like that? He's talking to himself, right? Was that the right thing to put so much hope in? Notice how the psalmist, he says in Psalm 42, analyzes his own hopes. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? Notice that he admonishes himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. The psalmist is talking to his heart, telling it to go to God. Look, look to God. Let me just ask you, church family, do you ever tell yourself that it's hopeless? Have you ever been known to say, well, what's the point? What's the point? There is no hope. Because at times, we can think that, can't we? Even if we haven't verbalized it. It's in these moments that we need to remind ourselves of truth. Lament, then, gives us some opportunities. Yes, lament gives us an opportunity to have an honest conversation with God. We've looked at that in great detail. This idea that even may lead to complaint or crying out. But lament also offers something to come alongside that. And lament gives us this opportunity to rehearse truth. With that in mind, what should we rehearse? What truth do we need to remind ourselves of? You know, there are so many passages of Scripture that we could turn to in which we could find spiritual truth and principles that we want to to hold and, and keep for the times that are tough. But Lamentations 3 does have some as well. And I want us to look at those today. If you look at the end of verse 21, it ends with a with a colon. And so the The thought isn't complete yet. He's really pointing to something. He's saying this, yet this is what I'm going to hope in. 
And so uh, when he says that there's something that he's calling to mind, it's really the verses that follow that he is saying what it is that he calls to mind. So let's, uh, let's look at three truths, three truths from these verses that lead to hope. And they can be three reminders for us. Again, your list may be much longer than that at some point, but here are three that Jeremiah gives to us in these verses. Here's the first one. The love and mercy of God are unending. They're unending. So let's keep reading. Pick back up in verse 22. Let's read 21 as well. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. What is it that he's calling to mind? Verse 22. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. And so here in these three verses, Jeremiah is recalling something about the unchanging character of God. Specifically, his love. His mercies. Each day, every morning, they are new. They do not change. They are unending. I like the way he explains it in verse 24. The Lord is my portion. And that, that, may, that may seem a little strange for us to talk about the Lord. The Lord is my portion. What do you mean the portion? Well, it, it could also be understood as an allotment. Or same word could be used for an inheritance. The Lord is my inheritance. So let me ask you, what, what do we inherit from the Lord? What blessings have been bestowed upon you and me? What is our portion because of, of who we are in Him? Well, it, it goes right back to what he was saying, this idea of love. Now, if you look at verse 22, we have the word love translated. It's actually... There's actually two words given to translate one Hebrew word, and the words here are faithful love, and that's because it's the Hebrew word hesed. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the Greek word agape, we think of that as being like godly love, right? That this is, this is unconditional love, and we, we're very familiar with this idea of agape love. But hesed love is the Old Testament version. A little different because it's speaking of a covenant love. A love that, 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 that God has for his people whom he's in covenant with. And that's why the CSB translates this as a faithful love. Some versions call it a steadfast love. And folks, that's one of those reminders that for us is so important when we're walking through a season where we might ask the question, Lord, do you see where I'm at? Lord, do you remember your promises to me? Well, yes, I do. Because I have this hesed love, this faithful, steadfast love. Because you belong to me. You and I are in covenant. You're in my family. That's the hesed love that's so rich. It's being communicated in here, here in Lamentations. 
And just think about that. That's being communicated in a time of apostasy, isn't it? That there's still, God's still holding up his end of the covenant love. Now, this word is also used in the book of Exodus, back in chapter 34. And just to, to bring you back to mind on what's happening there, the children of Israel have decided that they want to worship. And do you remember what they were worshiping in Exodus 34? A golden calf, right? And so it's in this context where they are idolaters that this word hesed comes back up. Verse 6, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in what? Faithful love, there it is, and truth. He's abounding in all of this, this hesed love and the truth. Again, it's all connected to God's compassion, His grace, His mercy, and His truth. Exodus 34 is a time in which Israel is abandoning God's instruction, and yet God is ready to forgive and exhibit compassion. And this is exactly what's happening in Lamentations 3. The people had turned from God, but God, through the words of Jeremiah, is still communicating a covenant love with His people. These are the kinds of things we need to remind ourselves of when times are hard. Even if our suffering is related to our sin, the sin is not greater than the hesed love of God. Mark Vrogop says it this way, His faithfulness is greater than my faithlessness. His forgiveness is greater than my trespasses. And His mercy is greater than what we really deserve. Amen? It's greater. And that's what we have to dwell on. Our hope is not in circumstances that change. Our hope is in the unchanging God whose love and mercy are without end. Second, second reminder, the time of waiting is not a waste. Let's look at verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. So in those two verses, there's two key words. One of them is waiting, because that's what these verses are about, talking about the one who is waiting for God. What's the other word that's used there? Good. It's good for those who wait. It's good for those who wait quietly. If you go down to verse 27, that word good is used again. Isn't it interesting? Three verses in a row, the word good is used. That's because it's actually the first verse, the first word in each of those verses. Same letter, same word even in this case being repeated. So we see the connection that waiting is good. And to the, to the modern day American mind, we stop and say, wait, what? Waiting is good? Sure feels unproductive, doesn't it? Waiting sure seems like a waste of time, doesn't it? We don't like to wait. If there's ever been any people that have ever travailed this earth that don't like to wait, it is us, right? I mean, we, we are at a point where we don't really have to wait much for anything. At least that's what we think. And so we don't like to wait. 
But here, we're told that waiting is good. And so we find another principle to remind ourselves of when we're in that situation. That waiting is not a waste. That there is something happening in that season between when the hardship or the heartache or, as we looked at last week, the judgment, whatever that situation, when it comes to the point in which it is either resolved or the healing has happened or the, the opportunity to move forward is there, it's that, it's that time in between. We know that time can vary depending, of course, on the situation. But as we wait, do we ever view that as a profitable time? Just think of all the things that can be learned in the season of waiting. If we went straight from that situation of heartache or hardship right into the resolution, what would we miss? What lessons would we not learn? What would we not glean about, about God's providence and His care, His provision? You see, there are these seasons where we are to wait. And to be quite frank, sometimes those seasons involve the time that's necessary to heal, to recover from, from what has been experienced, to, to, to be able to have that time to walk with the Lord, to wait on Him. Now, we know the people in Jeremiah's day, they had some lessons to learn, and the same can be true of us. God is working in that time, and He's preparing us for the next season. Remind yourself that waiting is not a waste. And finally, number three, the present time is not the end. What you are going through when you are going through the hardship or heartache that present time is not the end. But how many times when we're in that situation can we not see beyond it that we think, this is it. And that's where people can just come to the brink of despair because they just can't see past it. And you can fill in the blank on what that might be in terms of loss, hardship, heartbreak. But there are people that are in despair because they think this is all there is. This is not the end. And we have to continually preach that to ourselves. Look at verses 31 and 32. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Remember, there's lamentations. Their hardship is result of sin, judgment. The Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering, he will show compassion according to the abundance of his what? Faithful love. Recognize that word? So here we go. It's not going to be this way forever. It's not going to be this way forever. Even if there is suffering for a season, even if there is suffering in some cases for the remainder of one's earthly life, what is promised beyond this? See what we're talking about? We're talking about an eternal perspective. Now, we know that even on this earth, we go through seasons where we, we do not despair, but we oftentimes can call to mind circumstances where the greatest hope that one has is what God is preparing beyond this world. For the Israelites, 
their season of judgment would not last forever. It's a critical part of lament. Not only do we learn, but we also look ahead. We trust in the promises of God. We have future hope. We can say with certainty that suffering will not have the final word because that's not our ultimate destination. That's not God's plan for suffering for eternity, not for the believer. There is also a New Testament passage that gives us this same reminder. And it's written by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4. Listen to what he writes. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal or the fiery trial comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. What is Peter saying? Don't be surprised. Next verse. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. We look at that verse and we see a couple things, don't we? We are in a broken, hurting world, and we're going to experience trials, tribulation, suffering, persecution, all these things we will experience while we are on this earth. And Peter's connecting them to the sufferings of Christ, right? So particularly thinking about this in terms of persecution for the faith. But... He's not only connecting it to the suffering of Christ, he's also connecting it to the glory of Christ. And in doing so, he uses this phrase that we just can't miss. He says, you rejoice with great joy. Now, when is Christ's glory going to be ultimately revealed? Are we thinking about that triumphant return? Are we thinking about that day in which all things will be made new? And whether it's him coming to us or us going to him, we know that as a believer, that's what's next. We call it our promised land. And we see that Christ is preparing for us. That, that is a hope that's beyond this world. And so just as Jeremiah has hope, Peter has hope. Do we have hope? Let's wrap this up. We said at the beginning of the message that rehearsed truth leads to renewed hope. What is the reminder for you today? Do you need the reminder that the love and mercies of God are unending? If so, pull that one out. Pray about that one. Rehearse that one. Do you need the reminder that waiting is not a waste of time? Is that the season you're in right now? Time of waiting? Do you need the reminder that the present time is not the end? That that's not all there is to the story? These are just three examples of truth that we need to rehearse so that hope can indeed spring forth instead of despair. A friend called me this week, and as we were talking, he quoted Isaiah 26.3 on the phone. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
And I was working on the message when he quoted that verse to me. And I thought it was so fitting for what we're thinking about. A mind stayed on him. A mind that trusts God. And what is the result, church family? What is the result to the one who has a mind stayed on him? He will give what? Perfect peace. Perfect peace. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, that's our desire. Help us to stay our mind on you. Help us even when the storms of life surround. For us to recall those rehearsed promises. That your love and mercy never fail. That you are a God who loves his own, who provides for his own. A God who never leaves us or forsakes us. Father, we pray for those within our church family that right now are walking through that storm. Trying to hang on, hold on. Looking for hope. God, we pray that you will use your word today. That your spirit will take it and apply it. And Father, for, for those that are, that are with us, that, that may not have had this anchor for their soul, that may not have had this relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, may this be a day of salvation, a day in which hearts and minds will turn to you in faith, repenting of sin, finding forgiveness, and experiencing restoration. God, may you take your word today and apply it. And may we today be not only hearers of your word, but God, may we be doers. By your grace and for your glory, we pray these things. And all of God's people said, amen.